I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All Things Policy. I'm your host Shri Krishna Upadhyaya. And the guest on the show today is Shridhar Krishna, senior scholar at Takshashila. Uh, welcome to All Things Policy, Shridhar. Hey, thanks, Shri. Thanks for having me. So, Shridhar and I are going to be talking about the changing face of global trade in this episode today. Uh, we are going to look at some of the predictions made by World Trade Organizations in a recent report uh, as to the growth or the slump in growth of global trade for this year as well as the next year. And then we are going to dwell into the changing nature of the global trade itself. Uh, basically, the aspect of how services have been slowly expanding as part of global trade, uh, while manufacturing is shrinking, and we're going to be examining the reasons behind this, how technological changes have contributed to the shift, and finally, we're going to be ending by talking a bit about how India can leverage this uh, change in the global uh, trade that is happening. Uh, so, Shridhar, uh, I was very interested in this report that came out recently uh, this month. Uh, which World Organization World Trade Organization has released as an update to its global trade outlook. Uh, this report basically says that, uh, to quote from the report itself, a continued slump in global trade that began in the fourth quarter of 2022 has led WTO economists to scale back their trade projections for the current year while maintaining a more positive outlook for 2024. Uh, so, Shridhar, would you like to begin by giving a broad overview as to what are the reasons? for the lower growth projections WTO is making? And at the same time, why are they so bullish about uh, 2024? Sure. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about a slump in global goods trade, uh, we're specifically talking about the slump in goods trade and merchandise exports, right? And uh, saying that they had made a larger projection in the past in 1.7, 1.8%, but now they're saying that it will be only a 0.8% growth. But they're expected to sort of come back to about 3.2, which is more in keeping with the previous year's uh, growth. So in by 2024, right? So that's the sort of uh, headline. But basically, the slowdown seems to be broad-based, right? So that's what the report says. It says like it's across countries, it's across a wide range of goods. It's sort of, um, especially in categories like ma- in manufacturing, like iron and steel, office and telecom equipment ex- and clothing, textiles and all that. But passenger vehicle sales have really surged in 2023. And that's a sort of good sign, right? People don't really know. I think the report has not said that this is exactly why the slowdown has happened. But they are pointing towards things like high inflation, high interest rates, the appreciation of the dollar, which makes the actual trade look smaller in current dollar terms, and geopolitical tensions across the globe. I think like when this report was made, um, Hamas hadn't sort of uh, intruded into Israel and, 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 and all these current problems between Israel and the Hamas. But um, even that Russia-Ukraine war and, and, and all the ongoing tensions which exist between the US and China, etc., all that is sort of contributing towards uh, a slowing growth in trade. 
countries which are but oil prices have gone up significantly when oil prices go up countries which are dependent largely on export of oil they have done very well and they have been importing more right so there's been an import growth in those countries because they've been flush with uh, export revenues uh, at the start of the war in ukraine and uh, the cis the middle east africa etc have seen like you know registered significant growth in imports while regions like europe asia north america and south america have shown a decline so i think like overall that's what's been happening uh, but they're expecting that uh, import growth uh, in asia and north america should turn positive in the second half of 2023 while europe continues to remain uh, weak at least in their projections they uh, also talk about uh, the global services uh, purchase managers in managers index which is which show, shows at about 50.6 in august but has been trending down but they indicate that the services will continue to grow but at a slower pace than before the these figures agree with uh, the world trade organization trade statistics right which show contraction in merchandise trade values and stronger growth in commercial services trade so overall they see that commercial services trade will sort of continue to grow uh, i think it sort of comes down to the other point that you talked about how how services are uh, a nice silver lining in this slowing global trade conditions uh, the other thing which happened after the pandemic were the supply chains got seriously impaired uh, impaired and uh, so therefore there was a strong dip in 2019 2020 but then that sort of uh, seemed the global the, that seems to have been uh, fixed and there are no more pandemic related disruptions all those seem to have gone away and uh, but the in, uh, other good thing is the global inflationary pressure seems to be waning i mean people expected inflation to persist much longer but that doesn't seem to have happened i think all these high interest rates scenario seems to have had its impact and um, inflationary pressures are are waning so i think this should mean by 2024 um, export and import growth volume should increase um, and uh, and but uh, cis is one area where they believe that like you know imports might decline a bit but um, if the forecast for 2024 is realized Asia will be the fastest growing region in both the import and export sales. I think that's the that's the sense that people have. Statistics on commercial services trade by category are not available at the moment, but I think uh, for the second quarter. But however, it does, and if you see, uh, it's gone up nine percent year on year in quarter one of twenty twenty three. Right, services have gone up, and as far as the uh, and as recently as the second quarter. i think commercial services trade was up 19% year on year which suggests that services may be losing momentum but it will i think um, contribute significantly to overall trade and um, a large part of it is travel i think everyone started traveling after the pandemic with a vengeance and travels really up 58% and um, other commercial services etc are okay yeah that's that's how it looks overall
Right. So there has been a decline, uh, like you mentioned, because of, you know, some recent events, uh, starting with the pandemic, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And now we don't know the consequences of the uh, war breaking out in the Middle East as to how badly it is going to affect trade or not at all. We don't know it yet. Uh, but however, uh, this hearkening of geopolitical tensions, trade wars uh, may have been something which we uh saw in the news over the last five or six years or maybe even as uh, when the uh, US-China trade war started during the Trump presidency. But if you look at the data, global trade has been declining for over one and a half decades now. It had peaked during 2008, I suppose. And then uh, later on, after the 2008 crisis, it has slowly been coming down. Uh, so is that a correct uh, assertion to make uh, or is Today, there has been actually an increase in protectionism due to these recent events, or this is just a part of a longer trend that we're witnessing over the last uh, two decades. Yeah, I think uh, protectionism has been on the rise since 2008. I think you pointed out very correctly that 2008 was pretty much the peak in terms of um, growth in global trade wars. Uh, trade as a percentage of, of global GDP has increased tremendously. I mean, if you look at what it was in uh, in around the time of the just after the World War, after World War Two, uh, the global GDP was at about three point nine trillion at that time. Very hard to imagine, but that's what it was. The global GDP was equal to what India's GDP is today, and uh, global trade was only like about global exports at that time was only about fifty eight billion dollars. But in the first fifty years after. After the world, after World War II, this increased to nine trillion dollars. Uh, the trade increased to nine trillion dollars, and global GDP grew from three point nine trillion to about twenty-eight point one trillion dollars. So, so the percentage of globe and this trade has tremendous impact on global development, especially in terms of poverty alleviation. Sixty-four percent of the pop world population lived in abject poverty at around the time of the World War. And it came down to about 32% uh, by, uh, by to 29% in the first 50 years. So there was a so this trade has had a huge impact in distributing income more equitably across the globe, helping to reduce uh, abject poverty and so on. But I think after the financial crisis of 2008, there's been like you know an increased sort of protectionism. Um, global trade at in by 2008 had grown tremendously, at, especially between 2001 and 2008. There was a fabulous growth, over 300% growth in like you know global trade, um, and uh, this led to, if you look at in 2008, I think it was about 64% uh, uh, was the share of global trade in global GDP. Right. Global trade as a percentage of global GDP was 64%. Since then, it's been coming down. I mean, I think pandemic time, it went down to below even 50%. But now it's sort of back up. It's been going sideways since. It's uh, more like 52% by 2020. I don't know exact number for 2023, but there are in that region. So I think that's something that's happened. And why did this happen? Because I think there's increased protectionism. Apparently, there's an interesting statistic that I read. Uh, the World Trade Organization, again, in another report indicated that there's been an increase of 663% in the number of protectionist policies that have been coming out. So, so that's been how it is. But if you look at trade itself, I mean, if you look at uh, the top 11 exporters of the world of merchandise goods, you'll find that, you know, uh, 
the top 11 guys input exported about 12.8 trillion dollars of manufactured goods and the others only about 12.1 trillion so clearly like you know protectionism is leading to uh, consolidation with a few but um, but nevertheless i think this is a trend that's uh, really uh, bothering people uh, china is is does 3.6 trillion or 14% of global exports in merchandise in merchandise exports right so this country has been the largest exporter of goods in the world since 2009 if you look at china used to be us the biggest trading partner uh, before 2023 now mexico has overtaken china as the largest trading partner of the united states so i think things like that are are happening so yeah there are a lot of um, signs that protectionism is is making an impact uh, not only in terms of the overall size of global trade but also in terms of where it's being traded from and who's selling to who and so on i think that's something that uh, is 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 happening uh will exports continue to grow despite all this i think the world trade organization says that despite all these countries reducing their interdependence and integration in the post covid times especially global merchandise exports are still set to increase grow by about 60% 70% between 2020 and 2030 so everything is not gone i think one is still hopeful that good sense will prevail and protectionism will be soon on the wane but um if it persists then it could spell bad things for the world economy and especially for the global south i think that's uh, that's how things are stay tuned to all things policy we'll be right back after a short commercial break right uh and actually i want to come to global law services trade in just a bit but before that a comment on what you talked about you know rise in uh, harmful trade interventions over the last decade or so and protectionist measures of course industrial policy and trade policy have come back with a vengeance and uh, you know all kinds of import restrictions non tariff and tariff restrictions export restrictions everything seems to be going up uh, in fact in a study may, uh, done by global trade alert uh, which looked at uh, the data of trade uh, restrictive measures from 2008 i think the most number of these uh, harmful trade interventions have been made by the us and india <laughs> which is surprising right because us is supposed to be the champion of uh, uh, free trade free trade yeah. and all that but mm. uh, clearly times have changed and as for policy makers i think the key takeaway is of course we can sit and lament on uh, deglobalization and you know uh, restricted trade and so on but i think the bigger challenge for us to work within this environment where you know concerns such as security resilient supply chain seem to have uh, dominated the policy makers minds so it is our challenge in these times to work out solutions uh, which are still pro trade but within the contours that have come up uh, due to various geopolitical factors uh, but moving on uh, just on terms of services because i think this is one of uh, interesting part of the analysis that uh, you have made and we were talking about earlier uh, so can we say that the loss in merchandise exports is going to be compensated by services in the future or uh, do you think there is less sort of uh, pickering over services trade at a global level or uh, do you think services is the future of world trade uh, i i do believe that ser- see services has already become a very significant part of global gdp right 
So if you look at global GDP of over a hundred trillion dollars, I think about sixty-two, sixty-three percent of that is in services um, of global GDP. However, when you look at global trade, which is in the forty odd trillion dollars, um, when you look at that, I think like uh, only about twenty-one percent of that is in services. So I think that's something to remember. So. It is it is easier to export and import goods, merchandise goods, uh, than it is to export and import services. Because services, by their very nature, other than say transportation, travel, let's say, or financial services, insurance, those kind of things, right? So those are those are easier good services to trade in. However, uh, things like Med- medical services or education services and environmental services etc so these things are typically done in person right so they are like you know you have to be present on location in order to sort of deliver those services with globalization itself taking away so many jobs there's a lot of like you know resistance to immigration etc because people look at it and say hey i've lost my old manufacturing good middle level manufacturing jobs in the us now i don't want to be and more encouraging of immigration right even countries like us which have traditionally been have really grown on the basis of immigration are like you know closing down their borders building walls and, and so on so i think from that perspective there's a lot of resistance to uh people coming in and delivering services the other thing that's happening is the the developed world is aging so which means that like you know they will need multi, many services which need to be provided to the aging population however uh, they don't have enough young people to provide that so but technology is now coming to the rescue right so services in the past which could not be delivered uh, remote now can be delivered remote so you can imagine medical services for instance and how like you know with uh, with fantastic telecommunication that we've got today it is possible for uh, people to study to actually conduct uh, lab reports i mean studied lab reports and press and um, and report on them you could even have like robots running labs lo- robots in labs in the us uh being managed by somebody sitting in india or in other countries and like sort of operating them and actually running laboratory tests um remote you could have uh, you could have uh, high i mean if you look at the us and legislative med- we talking about medical uh, healthcare costs in the us today are at about $10000 per capita india's gdp is a fraction of that right so i mean that's the kind of costs which healthcare is in the us and it's becoming unaffordable for many therefore uh i think there's a great opportunity for countries like the us and the developed world to reduce their healthcare costs by uh outsourcing many of those services to doctors in india and elsewhere and and being able to get the services done of the same level of quality you could have like a specialist who's there in the us and you could have other level of second level of doctors in india so it could be a combination of all that you know you could have new business models and medical care that could come that could be seen similarly with education i mean i think um, education's become absolutely prohibitively expensive in the us especially there is over 3 trillion dollars of like you know uh, 
unpaid student debt in the US. And all this is because people, the cost of education is so high, but they're not able to get the kind of returns from that education which are commensurate with the cost. Now, if we can deliver many of these um, education services by like, you know, by people sitting in other countries, that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is the quality of education in the West is fabulous. But, you know, somebody sitting in Somalia or in India uh, can have access to the same quality of education and they can increase the number of people they serve because it's now delivered remote. And therefore, overall cost of education, even in the West, could go down. So I can see multiple models emerging uh, in all these areas, which could lead to uh, a, a greater trade in services across the globe being made possible through uh, the technological advances uh, which are taking place today. Right. But I think here the challenge still remains uh, as to, you know, the kind of services which uh, can be delivered at on an impersonal basis, right? Because if we start uh, including immigration into the equation, now that's another tricky issue in the current geopolitical environment because uh, countries are probably uh, not uh, very enthusiastic about uh, immigration as such. And even for service exports, that might become a challenge. So even with technology, see, I think for health and education, uh, you pointed out a few examples, but the challenge still remains to find those kind of services which uh, are impersonal and can be delivered on a remote basis. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. I mean, services growth has been faster than growth in manufacturing, especially in trade. So if you see, uh, it's, it's growing at over 10% while the rest of it is growing at like a small, low single digit percentages. So I think in general, there is a trend towards increasing it. And I agree with you that not all services can be delivered remote. Now, many of the services will still need somebody to be there in person to provide it. But I think you can imagine multiple things. Uh, for instance, I was just uh, reading the newspaper the other day about somebody sitting in Bangalore controlling a, a rover in, in the moon. Uh, then why can't you have... Uh, if we're talking about drones doing deliveries for Amazon... And um, I can imagine the drones being flown by somebody uh, in another country, right? It doesn't have to be necessarily someone doing that. So you could have drone flying. And similarly, you can. I was also thinking of a more wacko idea of like, you know, you have driverless cars, but you can have like people, uh, but the person who's, but you, you may not want to have completely driverless. You want someone to manage it. And what if that person who's driving that driverless car is actually not sitting in that place in that country, but some are in other country and driving the car remote and just guiding it and making sure that, yeah, it's driving, but like, you know, if anything goes wrong, immediately you apply the brakes or whatever, right? So you have things like that, which are possible, but um, I think time will tell us about uh, how, uh, how services can really uh, take over. Can it fill the gap? that like man shrinkage in uh, manufacturing will leave. I'm not yet sure that it will happen overnight. But uh, nevertheless, I think uh, you will definitely see services as a percentage of global trade going up uh, from the current 21% to over 40% in the next uh, decade or so. Right. 
Uh, and as basically policy analysts based in India and thinking about India's policy issues, uh, I can't help but wonder if, uh, you know, this is an advantageous situation for us in the sense that, you know, always uh, traditionally speaking, Indian economy, uh, almost every analyst has this case that we sort of skipped over the manufacturing bus and we just joined the services trade and services became such a huge and important component of our GDP and so on. And even in terms of our export growth, um, most of it has come from the services sector. So so with this global shift in which you know so global services trade is taking uh, is seeing an expansion and uh, at maybe at the cost of manufacturing trade or not but still the fact is that global services trade is growing uh, so does india stand to benefit from this uh, can we leverage this our policy measures uh, that can be implemented here which uh, will help make sure that you know india catches on to this new wave of uh, global trade so uh, what are your thoughts on this Sure. I think like the economist in July wrote a very interesting article for, called The Manufacturing Delusion. And it talked about how countries like the US and the developed world was all trying to like, you know, uh, get back to manufacturing because manufacturing was seen as this um, engine of the economy, which provided good middle level jobs. Right. While um, uh, so and the death of manufacturing in the US has led to large, large scale unemployment or dissolution, in, at least among the, a certain section of the population. But I think like, you know, uh, they talk about multiple things. They, they, they gave some four reasons why that's really not, uh, not possible because they said there's a changing face of manufacturing. Manufacturing no longer provides great middle level jobs, but provides some high end jobs and many low end ones. They talk about the example of a factory in Germany, which was supposed to produce uh, electric cars. And like, you know, there's just hardly anybody in the factory, right? It's only, um, everything is sort of uh, managed remote. And then they talk about innovation can thrive only when both manufacturing and the R&D are sort of together. While uh, there are examples of Korea, et cetera, right, where it has been proved that the area which you outsource to manufacturing may sort of have an impact, might see less innovation, but then the people who are doing R&D will spend their time more fruitfully on all aspects of, on other areas where they can be more successful or where it can be more useful. Then they talk about uh, green transition and like, you know, the fact that the world has to spend a lot of money on green transition. There's going to be a big opportunity for that. But I think like, you know, that's not really the case in the West because they say that many of these things, this transition can just be done by improving the way things are done or changing of process, etc. It might not all lead to new manufactured goods and so on. So, but I think India is slightly different. I think, in, first of all, when you look at the green transition, India is not about green transition. India needs lots of new jobs. We will need lots of new capacity. So we need much more energy source, energy power plants and so on. So the idea is that whatever new is done in India will be done afresh. There'll be a lot of greenfield effort in, in this in this uh, shift. Uh, therefore, there will be more manufacturing requirement in India. So that's number one. Number two, I think like India is not a country where we are doing a lot of design and then sending out manufacturing elsewhere, except in chip design, for instance. Um, we have lots of design chip design out let's in India, but like a lot of the manufacturing of chips is done elsewhere. Maybe there's an opportunity there for us in manufacturing as well. Then the third area is like, you know, in India, we need many jobs. So any kind of job is a good job, right? We need 20 million jobs. 
and uh, a year in India uh, because we have 18 million people who turn 18 every year. We have about 100 million people who are surplus in agriculture, and all this cannot happen without like you know more jobs. And whether it comes from manufacturing or services, we should be happy. Raghuram Rajan feels that you know maybe we are just having we are fixated a bit with manufacturing, and we should. But I believe honestly that. india it's not an either or scenario and i think even raguram rajan admits that it's not either or he's only saying that if there is a choice in one of of time bandwidth and resources in terms of what you promote indian policy makers should focus on services because services is the future and we have some strengths in services why not take advantage of it and make that grow and i agree completely in that respect right while we may not be able to pick uh, um we will not be able to replace china as the manufacturing capital of the world i don't think that's a that's something we should aim for we can take some advantages there are some i mean china's uh, manufacturing exports are about uh, 10 times that of india eight times that of india's manufacturing exports right so from that perspective i think if we can get a bit of a market share out of china because of this whole china plus one strategy i think it's a good thing so i think we should try and capitalize on that opportunity which exists today india has got some strengths in a few areas we do, we've got all these pli schemes which are coming through to sort of support manufacturing and local manufacturing and so on i think our pli schemes need to be figured much uh, to be uh, directed much more towards those areas where jobs can be created it should be linked to job creation rather than just like output and uh, there are areas in which we are actually very competitive and i think we should make sure that the pli schemes go towards those areas where we are competitive so that we can build really strong globally competitive enterprises not just somebody who's doing import substitution that's the key that i'm talking about when it comes to manufacturing but um, importantly india needs to make serious efforts to upskill its workforce right i think that's very critical and uh, we need to do that because jobs of the future whether they be in manufacturing or in services are going to require new skills skills that we don't have um and therefore how successfully we do that will determine whether we will take a significant part of this uh, share or not right i think that's the that's what i feel i think there's a big opportunity for india in services because we already have strengths in that space we should capitalize on that and sort of build on it but there is no need for us to ignore manufacturing i think we need to do both yeah like you rightly pointed out it's not either or it's anything which contributes to jobs and uh, economic growth overall and given the global headwinds though uh, that how the global services trade is growing at a faster rate than uh, goods trade and that it's going to form a larger uh, uh, share of the pie of overall global trade i think these headwinds sort of uh, point in a direction where india should definitely leverage the opportunity and why not emerge as the global services capital right if uh, if he can't be the manufacturing king maker or the king uh, so in any case uh, thank you so much rido for joining me on this conversation today uh, it's very insightful and hope to have you back on all things Paul. Let's see again. Thank you very much, Shri. Pleasure talking to you. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM Podcast app, ivmpodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey. If you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle @takshashila_inst 
और आर वेबसाइट तक्षशिला डॉट ओ आर जी डॉट इन